Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. To my disappointment, I have to report that effective at 12.01 a.m. this morning, we instituted a lockout of Major League players. Um, we took this action with the f- support of all 30 clubs after we failed to reach a new agreement with the Players Association, despite our very best efforts. Um, we came to Texas to make a deal. Um, we committed to the process, we made proposals, and it just did not happen. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I'm David Hall with Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock. That was the voice of Commissioner Rob Manfred just after the lockout began in December. And we are pleased now to go out to our guest hotline, sponsored by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that is where we find Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic and from Fox Sports. And Ken, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Let's start with what you wrote this week, a powerful story and column on TheAthletic.com. And you begin it by saying, not a single game should be lost and let's start there how realistic is that for major league baseball and what's the biggest challenge in making that happen david first off good to be with both you guys um i don't know the chances right now i would have been more confident was more confident i would say before the new year that this would get done at an appropriate time so spring training could begin as scheduled I am not as confident now simply because the calendar is working against them, and I don't trust either party, or both parties, I should say, to get a deal done by, say, February 5th, when then you could have, I don't know, two weeks of free agent insanity and then just get the spring training. It's going to be more difficult to accomplish that now unless things get cooking really quickly, and I don't see that happening. What we know is that the union is going to make a proposal on Monday, a counter to the owner's last proposal. I don't know that it will move the ball forward any more than the owner's last proposal moved it forward. And right now, we're looking at two sides that are pretty dug in. And when I say not a single game should be lost, I want to clarify one thing. I am not saying that the players should take a bad deal. Or for that matter, that the owners should give the players everything they want and make a bad deal for themselves. What I'm saying is, and I've said this repeatedly, There is a deal to be had here. This is not that complicated. And ultimately, this should be done and not a single game should be lost. Kenny, it's a pleasure having you on. Thanks for taking some time on a Saturday to be with us and inside the clubhouse. It's uh, fun to always talk to you and talk baseball with you. But um, my my perspective is, and it's not a a unique uh, analysis, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, The union bringing in Bruce Meyer to be their, their top 
legal negotiator, Boros taking a stronger position than ever uh, leading these uh, negotiations. And the fact that uh, most people believe, I'm not sure if you do or not, that the players lost badly in negotiations over the previous two CBAs and that uh, it's important for them to show that they're not going to get pushed around anymore, that they have to make gains and they want to get back some of the things they lost the two previous times. Um, if, if this is indeed what you believe, I'm, I'm with you. I have no idea when uh, these two sides are going to come to their senses and get something done. Well, Bruce, I do agree with you that the players are hell-bent on getting back some of what was lost. And frankly, in fairness, they should get back some of what was lost. It is tilted too far the economic landscape in the owner's favor. And I wrote that the other day, and I believe that. I think we all probably would agree on that. And yes, the players make a ton of money. We know that. But the owners make more money. And right now, the way this has evolved, the salaries going down and the tanking situation, it's just not a healthy economic landscape for the sport. The one thing I will not necessarily disagree with you on, but say that I do not have confirmed is that Boris is running this show. And there are people who believe that, people inside baseball, people who are even on the player's side. Some agents believe that. But I don't see much evidence of that other than he has a number of players on the executive board. I believe five of the eight players on the executive board are Scott Boris' clients. That gives him influence, no question about that. So, yes, Bruce Meyer was brought in as the union's top negotiator to counter what had been lost, to become more aggressive. And that is why they become more aggressive. They had to be more aggressive. They have to be. So obviously the owners don't like that. They want things their way and they want the status quo to remain relatively intact because the status quo is very good for them. But again, and I'll be a broken record on this. There are ways to acknowledge the union's concerns and bend back towards them a little bit without completely overhauling the game's economic structure. And there are ways to make this work for both sides. This is an industry that, in my opinion, cannot afford to have happen what happened in 94, 95. And, Bruce, I know you were there. We both remember it. That was a different world back then. There weren't as many entertainment options. There wasn't Hulu and YouTube, all these things that we have now, social media. Baseball still had a different place, a more exalted place in our sporting view. So if they lose games this time around, you hear fans threaten all the time, I'm never coming back. Well, I do expect that would be more of a problem than it was the last time. And even the last time, it took Ripken's streak and the Sosa-McGuire home run battle in 98 to fully bring the sport back to its status from before. Talking with Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic and Fox Sports here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. And, and Ken, well put. And I wanted to ask you about this. I think sometimes, whether it's baseball or just everyday life, first the first step in solving a problem is acknowledging that you have one. And I wonder if owners are unified or how unified they are in acknowledging that, as you put it, the sport's competitive integrity has been compromised by teams refusing to invest in their products. And that, that alludes to how teams are not wanting to spend uh, the floor that doesn't exist and not wanting to compete because of tanking or whatever other incentives there are to lose. And that's got to be something that 
they acknowledge before they begin to solve it. Is that realistic to expect them to be unified on that front? David, they sort of have acknowledged it through some of their proposals, but not in a way that the players would find acceptable. So, for instance, early on, they proposed a payroll floor or a minimum with some flexibility. If you go down, you get penalized. I presume it would have worked like that. But they attached that to lower luxury tax thresholds, starting at $180 million, and more severe penalties for exceeding the luxury tax threshold. Now, players are never going to accept that. But by acknowledging that a payroll floor might be something that they would consider, which they obviously did by making the proposal, that to me signaled, okay, they get it. Now, the other thing that came up in their last proposal was a, an idea to influence service time manipulations, kind of end them. And the idea was basically if you bring up a guy at the start of the season, one of the top 100 prospects, and he wins a major award or something like that, then, okay, you get a draft pick. That, in my view, is a worthy idea and does acknowledge some of the problems we've talked about, one of them anyway, service time manipulation. I don't know that it would fly in that form, and I certainly don't want the Baseball Writers Association of America determining who's getting draft picks. But at the same time, there have been these little nods toward what is going on. But a CBA, as you guys both know, is this wide-ranging matrix of different ideas, and they balance each other. There are weights and counterweights. And unless you get that idea or that kind of thing balanced, you're not going to have an agreement. So while the owners have made some of these proposals, they're not anywhere close to where they need to be to influence the players to say, okay, we're serious now. Kenny, uh, we, we know having covered these things for decades, uh, you and I and many, hopefully many of the other guys that are still left around from covering the 94, 95, that it's, it's all about money. It's all about revenue. We, we know that it is. And there's nothing that screams to me more about leverage for players than the owners wanting more playoff games, more playoff teams. Uh, they want 14 teams to be involved in the playoffs. What does that mean? That means tremendous amount of extra money coming in, uh, carrots for them to continue to get their big packages from uh, Fox and from TBS and from ESPN. Your, your thoughts on um, that and the unknown millions and possibly billions of dollars that has not been talked about, and that is how uh, legal gambling at the ballparks will impact the game. Bruce, I'm glad you bring that up because you're right. That is not getting discussed, and that is going to be a major revenue driver for this sport and every other professional sport I would expect in the near future. Now, they've started – they have got some deals. MLB does. I don't know that they're to the point yet where you'd say they're really significant, but I would expect that day is coming. There's certainly enough advertisements on TV to lead us to believe that day is coming. So I don't know where exactly the players are with that. I'm sure it's in the back of their minds that that money is there. As for expanded playoffs, it's an idea that the players are not necessarily enthralled with, even though it would also mean more money for them. It would mean more chances to appear in the playoffs, build arbitration cases, just experience that thrill of October baseball. 
their fear is that without other counterweights, teams like the Yankees and Dodgers, the big money teams that are generally in the playoffs, would simply say, ah, we don't have to spend as much. We're good. We'll make the playoffs and figure it out from there. So that's a concern. To me, you structure the playoffs, the 14-team playoffs, in a proper way to incentivize everyone to get the division title, to get the best overall record in the league, and maybe you can have something along the lines of what the players would find acceptable. So I don't love the idea of expanded playoffs, but I get that they're coming, and I expect them to be part of this agreement. And, yes, you're right, Bruce, that the players certainly have that as one of their leverage points, the ability to say no to expanded playoffs. It's maybe their biggest leverage point, really. So outside of just not going to work and not negotiating and having the lockout continue. So, yes, I do expect them to be part of it. I expect the expanded DH to be part of it. And I'm telling you guys, I haven't written it quite like this yet, but give me two GMs. Maybe give me Theo and Rick Hahn. Just to make it Chicago-like. Now, Theo's not a GM at this point. I get it. Give me Theo and Rick Hahn. Give me two agents on the other side. And I think those guys give them three days in a closed room, and this would be done. I, I think you're right. I think so many other things get in the way, though, Ken, and, and that's, that leads me to my next question is that, you know, it always fascinates me whether it's a contract impasse between, between a star and a team or, in this case, a, a work stoppage. The role external factors play in, in either driving a decision or driving the sides further apart. And I just want to get your perspective on the role messaging will play in this, in the role that perception, how much will that shape reality? Because once you get so many other people involved and the room expands and it gets more crowded or more voices, it gets louder, more confusing. Is that a good or a bad thing? And and where is this headed in terms of messaging? Who has the advantage there? Well, that's an excellent question, David, because if you go back to the pandemic when they were negotiating how to operate the 2020 season, there was a lot of messaging on both sides. And we were having a field day with all the statements coming out and the leaks and this and that and the other thing. It was good for media. It was not good for the game. They've been a lot quieter this time around. There have been a lot fewer of the back and forth, a lot fewer news coming out. The proposals have basically been reported. But other than that, it has not gotten ugly yet. I don't know that that will continue on this mission where they're just – refraining from really getting in the mud but to this point that has been okay now the larger question here is kind of what you raised there and the other voices now i'm not so much worried about the other voices in the room too many voices among the players or too many voices among the owners that is what it is this is a social media age which is the first well and, and it's the first time we've had work stoppage in the social media age And my sense is, and I don't know that I'm right about this because it's hard to judge just from social media, but my sense is fans are more sympathetic to the players than they've been. And my other point here would be that, in my opinion, both sides are guilty of this. And I'm not talking about which side deserves this or which side deserves that. I think both sides do not have a full grasp of how they are perceived. They're operating, like so many of us do in our job, in a vacuum. But... They're in a very public form and a very public industry. And if they continue this, this is the point of what I wrote the other day. The tolerance for that is not going to be too high among a lot of fans. 
A lot of fans just see them right now. They're fed up with this. So we will see how it all plays out. But that idea that, hey, we'll do what we need to do. We're going to protect the owners. We're going to protect the players. We're this, that. We'll argue until we need, as long as we need to argue. No, you might have to get your act together a little quicker than that. Kenny, um, I'm, uh, I've been upset about uh, filling out my Hall of Fame ballot this year and sending it in. Um, I didn't feel great about the process or my, the direction of the process or the lack of direction, I should say, of the process. Um, voting for Clemens and Bonds uh, you know, kept me up at night sometimes thinking about whether I should or shouldn't talk to many people uh, in the industry, other Hall of Famers. And it's all over the board. Your thoughts on uh, the Hall of Fame this time and maybe the sense of relief for people like us who vote now uh, that Bonds and Clemens, one way or the other, will either be in or off the ballot and uh, no longer standing in the way of trying to make a good decision where I don't think I could really honestly say uh, either way I would make a good decision. My thoughts pretty much mirror yours, Bruce, and that is the entire issue with voting right now. And I know fans get tired of the writers complaining. We're not complaining. We're just trying to explain to people, in the interest of transparency, by the way, why this process has become difficult. And I share your thoughts on this because it feels like it's impossible to make the right decision. And I'll give you an example simply by using Bonds and Clements. So for years, initially, I did not vote for them. I felt what they had done was improper and something that, yes, I would withhold a vote for. But then other players who we at least suspect or have some strong feeling have used PEDs were elected to the hall. I'm not going to name those players, but we all know who they are. And at that point, because we don't know who did what and when and what effect it had on their performance, I thought, all right. I cannot rightly exclude these guys any longer. Now, you can make a case either way, in my opinion. I respect the opinions on both sides. The thing that still bothers me about voting for them is the idea of seeing both of them giving their speeches in Cooperstown. It, it bothers me. So when they are no longer eligible, and I don't expect them to get elected on Tuesday, they will move to one form of the Veterans Committee and the debate over players who are still on the BBWAA ballot, A-Rod, Manny, Sheffield, whoever you want to name that has been linked to the PED question, that's not going away. That will continue, and it will continue for quite some time. Now, I wrote last year that I wasn't sure I was going to vote for any vote anymore because I felt it was just such a frustrating thing, and like you said, because you cannot make the right call. That's the worst part. You can't feel good about your ballot. So. Right. I thought about that, but then thought, you know what? It's shirking your responsibility. I actually believe we could do this better than any other group could do this. I know fans might disagree, but for the players, no, sorry. They bring their own biases to it. Everybody brings their own biases to it. But for the most part, we do do a good job of this. So we will see what happens Tuesday. I'm not expecting it to be a good result for Schilling, for Bonds, for Clemens, Schilling for other reasons that have nothing to do with PEDs. But the issue, Bruce, I don't expect that to go away. Ken, thanks so much for your time and your insight and your honesty. Really appreciate the uh, the the time this morning. Thanks, guys. Ken Rosenthal. Appreciate it, Kenny. From the Athletic and Fox Sports.
really true answer about the Hall of Fame, Bruce. I'm glad you asked him that. We'll get to that in the final segment about what's ahead on Tuesday. But there, you don't feel great about your ballot, and that's the honest answer from every voter that I know, and, and I, it mirrored what I felt. You kind of feel ambivalent. You feel mixed. You have mixed feelings, and you just can't feel good about something that you're part of. You're glad to be a part of it, but yee. Yeah, you're right, David. Well, we move on to the Chicago Cubs international scouting director, and uh, yeah, we're going we to talk to him. He is the Cubs international scout of the year. He receives the award tonight. He will talk to us next. His name is Louis Elhawa, and he joins us on Inside the Clubhouse when we come back on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Ooh, that one hit to left and well hit. It is on its way and gone. Our second Little League World Series home run, Adon Sanchez. That was a big fly. I know the Panamanian folks know his name, but you better learn this name. Adon Sanchez is an absolute stud. We watched him take infield at shortstop. He moves well. Looks like Xander Bogart's out there. Gets this breaking ball here right down the middle. Goes down and gets this ball, stays on it. Look at that nice, easy swing. One-handed bad flip makes that thing look like a toothpick in his hand at 12 years old. This ball is crushed, people. We have not seen the ball jump off the bat at all since we've been here. That ball is launched. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to score. David Hall, Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock. Yeah, that was the voice of David Ross. That was Rossi. Back when he was broadcasting, before he was managing the Cubs, he was calling the Little League World Series, and back in the day, Adon Sanchez was just a teenager hitting home runs that made David Ross say nice things about him and, and anticipate the next step in his career. Well, the next step in his career, he was drafted or he was signed with the Cubs last week during the beginning of the international signing period, one of several highly rated prospects that uh, joined the organization, which brings us to our Next guest, we go out to the guest hotline, sponsored by Circa Resort in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that's where we find Louis Elhawa, the Cubs Vice President of International Scouting, who tonight will be honored for being baseball's 2021 International Scout of the Year. Congratulations, Louis, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Uh, great to be on, and um, looking forward to that tonight. Obviously a big honor, and um, yeah, and looking forward to talking some prospects with you guys today. <laughs> Louis, uh, it's great to have you on. And again, congratulations on this great honor. Can you talk about uh, a couple of the young guys, especially, uh, you know, the, the new brother act that you have going with the Chicago Cubs and uh, some of some of the, uh, the scouting work that went behind this and uh, the expectations on uh, – your draft this time around well um you know we're we we definitely like our group that we we're bringing in this year this hall that we got uh in this latest signing class um obviously a lot of hard work and time and effort went into this by our scouts and our staff throughout the different countries and um all coming to a head on january 15th and um really excited about this new group um you know, there's a couple names that are have been more in the spotlight than others, but definitely um, overall, we feel it's it's a strong group for sure. 
Well, Lou, let's talk about two of those names because one, Alexi Hernandez is 17 years old. He's the 18th ranked prospect on MLB Pipeline's top 50. His brother's already part of the organization, Christian, 18-year-old, who is the third, currently ranked third of the Cubs' top 30 based on the same mm-hmm. list. When you have a brother tandem like that, how much uh, how how does it play into the idea of having them on parallel tracks or timelines? How realistic is that, and how much does that factor into the decision making along the way? Well, um, you know, obviously Christian's got a head start on on Alexis, and um, you know, we hope that you know his path is is um, fairly quick for a teenager. But obviously, we we have to kind of take it as it comes and not put too much pressure on him, but we're definitely excited about Christian and his ability and talent and uh, having had him for a whole year in the system up, you know, uh, as of now and having him go through the Dominican Summer League and come out of that being one of the better prospects and now uh, hopefully making his U.S. debut this year. We're really excited about that and what the future holds. But, you know, Alexis, we were obviously familiar with him, Um all the time we had put in with, with seeing Christian, you know, a few years ago. And, um, you know, Alexis was always around. And we obviously like his ability. Um, first and foremost, he's he's an exciting player. He's he's a great athlete. He's got, you know, all the tools that, you know, the, all the five tools that we look for. And, um, you know, the question is where, if, you, if he's going to stay at short or move to center field or, uh, but we do see him as a pre- at a premium position down the road, whether it's some- somewhere up the middle, for sure. But um, and and then on the offensive side, he's you know he's got all the attributes as well that that, that come with being a, a top prospect, and we we see him, you know, with um, the skill set to either be a top of the lineup guy or maybe even hit somewhere in the in the middle of the order because he's going to have some power as well. So. Yeah, really excited, and 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 it never hurts to have you know uh, brothers together, you know, coming through the system, and you know, being there, leaning on each other through the ups and downs of, you know, being a minor leaguer and trying to get to the big leagues, and it's definitely a, a plus. Um, and and we were able to get to know him on a personal level even a little bit sooner than we normally would because when we started scouting Christian, Alexis was you know. A year younger and so we've we got an extra year of time with him and and getting to know him and, and obviously we were familiar with the family so yeah it was a, a, definitely a bonus to have brothers come in at fairly the same time and and motivate and push each other that's the voice of louis howa uh, from the uh, chicago cubs the vice president and uh, director of international scouting for the team uh, adon sanchez uh, we heard uh paul Can- uh, i'm sorry we heard uh David Ross, talk about him in that soundbite before we brought you in. Uh, 16-year-old kid, is, is that right, Louie? Uh, I mean, here, here's a guy that four years ago uh, Ross was talking about in the Little League World Series hitting a, a 390-foot home run, and now at 16, he's 6 feet and 205. Uh, how in the heck are you guys able to, to project a 16-year-old that's already 6 feet and 205 and trying to talk to Jed Hoyer and the people of the Cubs saying, well, we expect him to be this at 18 or 19. How, how do you project the guy's body? How do you project his abilities as 
you move forward and you see a fully grown man at age 16. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Don has been on the international, you know, scene and, and stage for a long time. You know, even before that Little League World Series um, performance, he, he was representing Panama at all sorts of, you know, all kinds of different levels and age groups. I think probably since the age of 9 or 10, he had been on their youth teams that traveled abroad and, and always – excelled and performed at the on the international level and, and and under high pressure situations so you know that was something that wasn't a tough sell because we we had seen him over time and over you know over all these different um events uh being one of the better players um and and performing well and obviously what he did in the little league world series didn't hurt <laughs> and rossi's call which obviously is ironic but um it was a, a a great moment, and hopefully Rossi will be able to witness a few hundred more of those in in the future. But you know, we we we're excited, and and yeah, the he's you know he he he's a catcher first and foremost, but he's he's played third, he's he's pitched, um, and excelled at both those positions as well. So you're talking about a baseball player um, who is physically mature for his age, uh, obviously with you know you mentioned the height and the weight, um, and we we really don't see him needing to get much bigger or, or stronger. I mean, obviously he's going to get stronger, but, you know, if he stays where he is now or maybe even slightly bigger, you know, we're fine with that. And, and he's, uh, unlike other guys, when you bring them in as a teenager, you project them to maybe grow some more or fill out physically. He doesn't have a lot of that more maturing to, do, to go. Um, but, you know, he plays a position where um, – his physical attributes, he's pretty he, – he profiles well there for sure. Um, but the bat is has a chance to be special. I mean, he's got big-time power. Um, he's playing right now in the national tournament in Panama, which is held every January within their country. It's basically the – each state represents uh, – has a, has a select team, and they play for the national tournament uh, down there. I think it's 17 and under group. And he's he just hit a home run a couple of nights ago that went out of the ballpark. So massive power and um, you know very high baseball IQ. Um, so you know whether it's behind the plate or at third base or wherever he ends up, we we expect him to be an offensive force for sure. Louis, the group of prospects that also signed included Daniel Benchop from Aruba, the first player from Aruba to agree to a deal with the Cubs. Bruce and I would like to get on record now is volunteering to do a remote broadcast from Aruba to get to the <laughs> bottom of, of his career. <laughs> how, I, I'm curious, though, how hard is it to find baseball players in Aruba, and, and why is it taking this long, and, and a little bit about uh, his future? Well, I mean, we, you know, uh, they've been playing down there for a long time. We just haven't had the good fortune of ever lining it up where we, we – we signed one, at least with the Cubs. Um, but, you know, he's he's definitely an exciting player, and we're happy to have him. Um, he's, uh, you know, and they're, obviously with the Sander, Sander Bogarts being a premium player and interest for baseball has increased because of that in Aruba. More kids are playing. Um, you know, you're seeing more, more kids traveling outside of Aruba to play in, in, in different showcases and events. And we actually saw Benchup um, in the Dominican for the first time uh, where he was being showcased and, and he was training. 
Um, so, and then we we ended up traveling over there to meet the family and and uh, get a closer look at him. But it's definitely a place that you know is it has potential. It's it's up and coming. There's players coming out of there that um, are very good athletes and um, you know um, have very good tool sets. We just we, we we they they need to start playing more. And and I think they have um, over the years uh, over the last few years, but. You know, it's such a small place. It's, it's you're never going to get the numbers you do with some of the other hot spots that we scout. Um, but there's definitely more players coming out of there. And you know, uh, Daniel, he's a kid that we project to stay in center field. And um, you know, he's an exciting player. He's he's fun to watch. He's always in the middle of the action, whether it's on defense or on the bases or or offensively. So. Yeah, definitely glad to have him. He's a great kid, um, really smart. He speaks like three different languages. So, um, you know, uh, great family. And um, uh, definitely glad to get on the board with him and Aruba. And hopefully it's it's the first of a few more to come. Louis, how difficult is it to identify really good pitching from young guys uh, when you have the international draft? I notice, you know, uh, uh, Freeland Silverio is one guy that you drafted, uh, but it seems like uh, with all the teams, we hear about hitters and catchers and top shortstops uh, in the draft, but we hear very little about pitching. How how much more difficult is it to project young international talent as far as pitching goes uh, from your experience? Um, you know, they're, they're a little further away sometimes than the, um, than the position players, and I think that's why you see more um, by the numbers, at least um, when we get these signing dates and you see the guys that, that, that get announced um, as some of the more higher profile guys that generally are position players because it takes a little while uh, longer for the, the, the pitchers to, to develop and, and get established. Um, but, you know, you have to dream a little bit more. You have to project a little bit more. And the stuff a lot of times with 16-, 17-year-old guys, is you don't see present stuff, but you have to project. So, um, you know, you look for size. You look for other attributes like how their arm works and their delivery and how they spin a breaking ball. And, and then obviously, you know, future projection on the fastball. Um, but all that falls into – you know, all the other stuff I just mentioned, you know, if the guy has a clean delivery and a quick arm and, you know, he's 16 and, and, and bumping 87, 88, 89 and occasional 90. Well, a good chance he's going to increase, you know, two or three miles, um, you know, every couple of years and eventually maybe be a mid nineties guy. But, you know, a lot of times those guys don't get the exposure that some of the position players do because they don't have the present stuff or the present tools that, those other guys that maybe play shortstop or center field or play a premium position. But with Severio, yeah, we, we, we're excited about him. We see him as a future starter. Um, you know, he's got three pitches that, that we like. Um, the curveball is probably his best pitch right now. Uh, we see it as a future potential out pitch. And um, his fastball, he's already, we've seen him, seen him up to 92 already, but he probably sits – 88 to 90, which is good for a, a kid his age. And um, the changeup is, is his third pitch, but he definitely has a feel for it, and it's probably going to be a, you know, a solid pitch for him down the road. So 
Yeah, he, he's he's physical, or he's got the chance to be physical. His frame right now hasn't filled out. He's six three and tall and lean, but definitely a kid that could end up being you know all of six four and you know one ninety two hundred pounds at some point. So, and with that will come hopefully you know that mid nineties fastball to go with that curveball and changeup. So, definitely a guy we see uh, like I mentioned as a potential future starter for us. Louis, uh, we've been friends for 14 years since you've been with the Cubs. I knew of you before when you were helping sign guys like Miguel Cabrera with Florida. Uh, it's been a great career, and what a wonderful tribute to you being the International Scout of the Year tonight. I'm, uh, I'm very excited for you and your family. Uh, David and I really appreciate you joining us in Inside the Clubhouse today. Uh, the best of luck to you, and congratulations one more time. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. Definitely excited and humbled, and we'll definitely uh, enjoy the moment tonight. My family's here, and i got some of the guys coming in for the event, so it should be a great night, and uh, looking forward to it. All the best, Louis. Thank you. All the best. Louis Elhawa, the Cubs Vice President of International Scouting, getting the award tonight. That's a big one, Bruce, 2021 International Scout of the Year. Well, these days, as a scouting director internationally, you not only have to be a great talent evaluator, but you also have to be a CPA because of uh, the limited amount of money that you can spend now. Uh, every every team has international uh, slotting money, and it's it's capped out at a certain amount. And you have to spend wisely to be able to get multiple players in under that cap. So I, I didn't I didn't see if you were in. Are you in on the Aruba trip? Are you not supporting me here? Come on, Bruce. I need you to go to bat for this. Uh, remote broadcast from Aruba, maybe, you know, a couple weeks or so. I've worked for Mitch for a long time, David. Okay. So that's a no. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm in the, uh, gee, I wish, I wish it could happen. Uh, (laughs) we get Mitch and his family involved in a, and a great ad, a great person to promote it. Like Jeff There we go. I think we got a shot. We got another segment left. You can start singing at 1102. How's that? And we will come back, talk about the Hall of Fame announcement coming Tuesday. What's going to happen and why? And what do you think about all that? Inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Ortiz in the deep right field. Back is Sheffield. We'll see you later tonight. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. David Hall, Bruce Levine. Final segment here, that was uh, Joe Buck talking about David Ortiz hitting a home run back when he was hitting them for the Red Sox. Thank you, Fox Sports, for that. Bruce, on Tuesday, the announcement will be made of the class. And if you want, can you have a class of one? But the whoever is inducted, along with the, the men that will go in on the Veterans Committee, who we heard earlier this month, Minnie Minoso included in that group with Jim Cott, etc., David Ortiz has been named on 84% of the ballots, according to the Hall of Fame tracker, the, the metrics that have been measured. That is not an accurate, necessarily accurate uh, yeah. indication, but it is pretty good. It, it's pretty, pretty good. close. It, he, pretty he's close. really good. Uh, he's really good, and he, he spends a tremendous amount of time uh, working on this. I was just going to say it's more, uh, it's more accurate than official, right? It's not official yet, right. and it won't be until well, Tuesday, but it's trending in that direction. I did not vote for Ortiz. Uh, it's his first time on the ballot. I don't. I don't necessarily believe he's a first-time Hall of Famer. Some people will say, "Well, if you think of him, he either is or he isn't in your mind. He's not going to play another game." And that, that's a that's very fair. You know, it's like, but but we have ten years with a guy on the ballot. If he gets five percent, he's going to get way over that. He's going to get in. 
Um, and, you know, good for him. He was a great entertainer. But there's, you know, there's stuff in his background, too, that people are, are question as well. So this era is a little sloppy. Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, uh, Schilling, I think they'll be off uh, after this. They've been on the ballot for 10 years. So um, right. see you later. Veterans Committee, you guys take over. You know, it's, it's, your, it's your baby now, guys. It's your problem now. I did vote for Ortiz. I, I just felt like Bruce, 541 home runs in an age where the testing was more stringent. His name never appeared in the Mitchell report. Rob Manfred himself, I don't have, have a ton of uh, respect for the way he handles many things publicly, but he did all but exonerate David Ortiz when talking about um, back in the day he was one of 10 to 15 players. He said there was a very, very legitimate explanation that did not involve the use of a banned substance. So we can parse and we can you know pick apart the different arguments, but I do think bottom line, Bonds and Clemens probably won't get in. David Ortiz will. And he'll be the, you know, we used to think maybe he had overcome being a DH. He had overcome more than that, but I think he is going to be the only name we hear announced on Tuesday. You agree? Yeah, uh, the Schilling thing bothers me. I voted for him uh, because I thought he was a great postseason pitcher and a really good pitcher for 10 years, a dominant pitcher. Uh, can't stand the guy and uh, the way he thinks, but that should never cloud the uh the idea of a reporter looking at the pure ability of a pitcher or a player. And uh, I thought uh, he should be in, but it doesn't appear he's going to make it. Uh, you know, we'll see Tuesday night. It's it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's also the last year for Sammy Sosa. We'll see how the Veterans Committee uh, treats uh, Sammy as he moves on to that area. I voted for Ortiz, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, and Billy Wagner. Of those five, I think only David Ortiz will go in. I feel I agree with you on, on Schilling. It was through gritted teeth, but I think that when you look at his postseason resume, absolutely he, it, it's Hall of Fame worthy, and I just don't think he's going to get the nod from, from enough voters. I look forward to the day where we're deba- debating John Lester in five years. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be we interesting. Can do that show People- from Aruba. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine on our website, 670thescore.com. Write Cubs and Sox. David, looking forward to the Hall of Fame election and uh, talking to you next Saturday morning. Great job, Bruce. Thank you to Ken Rosenthal. Thank you to Louis Ohawa. Thank you to the listeners for sharing your memories of Les Grobstein. Thank you to everyone for listening here on Inside the Clubhouse. Saturday suckage is next. After that, playoff football. All day and all night here on The Score. You've been listening to Inside the Clubhouse. Thank you on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.